Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Grigston talks about what to do when you feel like you're lost and you don't know what to do with your teen. Never did I think that I would be the executive director of a program for struggling teens called Heartlight, where we have 60 kids living with us, and we've now lived with over 3,000 kids. Never was planned, never knew that it was coming, never knew that that was on the horizon for me. And here I am on the other side of life where a lot of friends around me are retiring, but I look back at at a lot of my time and and a lot of the things that were discovered along the way on my journey. I I would call it a journey to genuineness. Um, And people come to me and say, how did you ever start Heartlight? I said, well, I got to be honest with you. I've been fired twice in my life. The first time I was fired was from a, um, a barbecue place called Tennessee Jed's. I was in the ninth grade. I was cutting pork and meat, making barbecue sauce and baking beans, and on the weekends, I would pull weeds from around the restaurant. Uh, I worked there a few months, did a great job, uh, right there at 51st and Sheridan in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, the owner came up and said, I've decided to let you go. The next time I heard those words was about four or five months before we started Heartlight, and uh, I was in Branson, Missouri, and uh, working for a ministry. I'd left a position of Young Life and and uh, was now working for the, another organization. And out of the blue, in my mind, I'm sure it wasn't in my boss's mind, but out of the blue in my mind, somebody sat down with me and said, I've decided to let you go. It was a shock to us. It sent us into another world. I thought every dream that I had at that time um, was gone. I thought um, it was probably the first time that that I really felt like I was hopeless. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know who to talk to. I um, I, I was lost. I, I it, it came out of left field. It was a surprise to me. Um, I was distraught. I didn't sleep for the next few weeks. And and uh, but I can tell you from that that I have never experienced as much rejection. Um, so I felt. Uh, or betrayal of relationships, the people that I work with kind of, except for a couple, kind of just shut me off and and uh, pushed me out. And uh, I was lonely. I, I was living at one place um, and traveling to Texas to raise money and start a new organization, but yet people had moved on with their lives. Um, I felt depleted. Um it took me a long time to get out of bed in the morning. And there, there was a guy at this camp called Camp Canacuck where we were living. That wasn't the organization I was fired from. They were just providing housing for us. But a guy named Spike White would come over every morning and get me out of bed. He'd knock on our back door um, and he'd come in and, he, and he's knocking on the back door to get me out of bed and say, come on, get up, get up, get up. You got a program to start. A real encouragement. But I got so depressed that my antidote was busyness. And so I started getting busy. Um, 
you know, just kind of trying to figure out um, how bad all these people were around me, why they would fire me. And, and uh, I stewed. I stewed. I, I was bothered for years. And uh, even now when I think of that, even though it was 32 years ago, there is still hurt that comes along with it. Now, at the same time, I got to tell you this, there, the sting isn't there. But one of our new board members, when we started Heartlight, said this to me, you've got to look at why you got fired and figure out what your part was. You'll be better for it. And that stuck with me for a long time. I was always sitting back thinking, why was I fired? Because I really wasn't told the reasons. It was just a matter that that uh, I was right and they were wrong. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking a little bit. But there was a feeling that I, I didn't know why I was fired. Um, and I probably wrestled with it for three or four years as we started Heartlight. And so in the beginning stages. And this is what I came up with. I realized that I didn't listen very well. I also realized that I was pretty selfish. Um, I realized I was never wrong uh, when I worked there, that I was looking out for me, that I was critical of other people, and I talked about it to others a lot, and I shouldn't have. It was interesting to me, we'd have meetings, and, and uh, I always thought it was everybody else that, that my boss was talking to, to correct them, and really what he was doing was trying to correct me. Isn't that funny? I didn't want to take on what, what I thought he was speaking to everybody else about. Maybe that was a sense of pride. But, you know, I avoided what I needed to deal with because it was motivating me to serve others. The very things that I avoided was my motivation for serving others. You know, sometimes I think as parents of struggling teens, it's almost like you've been fired. You know, you spend all your time... Um, coaching baseball and going to soccer games and watching basketball and taking them to dance and music lessons and ballet and you're involved in school and you're doing all these things. And all of a sudden, that little girl that walks upstairs one day comes down the next day is a completely different person. And you feel like you've been fired. Like she says this, I don't think I need you anymore. So... If you're like me, you feel those sense of re senses of rejection and lost and loneliness and being depleted. <laughs> I mean, and just lost. That's the only way. You don't know where to go and you don't know what to do. You know, when I got fired, it was interesting to me. The first person to show up uh, on my doorstep was a guy by the name of Joe White. He's the, uh, the owner of Canicut Camps in Branson, Missouri. And he showed up on my doorstep, and I was in tears, and he grabbed a hold of me and hugged me, and he goes, I want you to know something. This is the best thing that's ever happened to you in your life. And I, I didn't understand what he was talking about. I, I just could not put it together. Um, and you know what? I've realized that over time. But maybe, maybe when we're lost and don't know where to go and are struggling and looking for a new direction, maybe, maybe that's a good place to start um, looking at the, uh, the log um, rather than the speck in someone else's eye. And you've got to start asking yourself the questions, this as a parent, just the same questions that, that our board member asked me when I felt 
when I was fired and felt like a parent who, of a struggling teen. Are you listening? Are you being selfish? Are you ever wrong? Are you looking out for you? Are you being too critical? Are you talking about this too much and not doing what you need to be doing? And I think this is the big question for a lot of parents. Are some of the ways you parent coming from the issues in your own life that might need to be resolved? Meaning this, you know, I know that that my dad did not communicate a sense of value to me when I was growing up. And so I found other ways to find value. I worked hard. I connected with my uh, childhood sweetheart in ninth grade. Our first date was a Led Zeppelin concert. Can you believe that? I swam competitively for uh, 13 years and went to the University of Arkansas to swim. I ran for student government. I was always out front. And I think even my motivation for, for leading a young life club or working for a church is that it put me in a position of authority where I was valued by somebody else. And so what was happening was Because my dad didn't value me, I was looking for value everywhere else. So basically it was this, the very thing that that I needed to work through was the very thing that was motivating me for doing the work that I was doing. So a lot of good came out of it. But it wasn't until I realized that my dad was still controlling me, and that's not what God had in mind in a parent-child relationship. And so it, it moved me to a point of having to deal with the issues in my life And I think that's what Scripture would be talking to us about when we're supposed to be looking at the log in our own eye rather than the speck in our child's eye when we feel like they just fired us. The tendency is that it's all about them. There's something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with me. But the first place that we've got to start is with me, that the resolution of issues have an amazing way of producing an authenticity and a genuineness which is exactly what your teens want from you. You know, there's something about the struggle that keeps you in a good place because it means that you're looking for something better. You're looking for something that is going to meet the needs in a greater way. You're breaking out of old wineskins and and creating new wineskins. You're engaging differently. You're learning new styles. You're not giving up. You're not limiting your parenting to your own understanding, but you're gaining more and more understanding from somebody else. So here's here's some things I would ask of you, and maybe this is some homework that you can do. Maybe the only time I'm ever going to give out homework on a podcast. One, you got to figure out what your part is. What's your part? in this thing with dealing with a child that's starting to spin out of control. You've got to start questioning yourself. That's okay. It's called reflection. It's called spending time engaging in looking at you rather than spending all your time reflecting on how everybody else is wrong. It means this, turn the mirror and look at you. Just look at you. You know, and the third thing would be this. Deal with the issues that have plagued you. Look, we're all not perfect, uh, which means we're imperfect, which means there's things in our life that are unresolved that have been maybe forgotten or put on the back burner or covered up. 
Uh, if you're like me, you get busy. And my busyness has an amazing way of keeping me from facing the more important things in life that I need to engage with. And the fourth thing would, would be this. I would encourage you to begin your journey of genuineness and authenticity. Find out who you really are. Who are you performing for? What voids are you trying to fill? And fill out and, and, and figure those things out and, and say, God, I need you to fill those voids, but I don't need to be controlled by my dad. I don't need to be controlled by things that have happened, trauma and difficulty where I've been a victim. I don't need those to control me. I really am not supposed to be having <laughs> a time that I was fired controlling me. But I know that it has somewhat. Those folks have come back to me two or three times asking that I take over their organization. And you know, there's a bit of my flesh that feels wonderful about that. When I hear they're not doing well, I go, ah, that makes me feel good. And what that means is, is that the hurt has been there. It's been resolved, but there's still that soft spot. Now, in t- I, I realize that. And so I, I, I don't do anything negative with it. I just know that's a part of me. And you know what that does? I think it tenderizes me a little bit. It just makes me a little bit more tender. Now, that could be that I'm 65 and I'm getting a little bit older. And I figure out what's important, what's not important. But I realize that on my journey of genuineness and authenticity, that I've got to really realize who I am and who I'm not who I'm supposed to be performing for and who I'm not supposed to be performing for, what my role is and what my role is not, what I can do and what I can't do. I need to know who I am, but I also need to embrace whose I am. So this would be my prayer for you. It's out of Psalm 139, 23 through 24. It says this, and just listen. In the context of being a parent, and you have a struggling child, Lord, search me, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any hurtful ways in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hurtful ways in me. But then, Lord, do this, lead me. Lead me in that everlasting way. You know, the firing, I get back to that. Most of us that were involved in all that 30-plus years ago, we can laugh about it. Uh, Forgiveness has been granted everywhere. Uh, I've gotten with those people again. And you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the hardest time of my life, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Hey, take advantage of this journey. And I pray that your journey of genuineness will lead you to a great place of figuring out who you are so that you can engage differently and affect purposely uh, the lives of your kids and those that God has put in your life. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. 
For more information, visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org. And to learn more about Heartlight, visit HeartlightMinistries.org. If this podcast has been helpful to your family, please share it or give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can listen to Parenting Today's Teens wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.